in a pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty and faculty developers at Glendale Community College in Arizona. And we are so excited to be here today because what we're going to be talking about, we're really excited for the topic. We are talking about OER, aka also known as Open Educational Resources. And we are so excited. We have invited a guest Christine Jones to have a conversation about open educational resources. So thank you so much for being here and welcome Christine. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Christine Jones is residential faculty at Glendale Community College teaching first year English composition. She also serves as the director of open educational resources and has collaborated on several OER textbooks. Prior to joining GCC, Chris taught in the UAE, Japan, and China. Christine enjoys spending her free time with her three adult children, her husband, and her four rescue pets. She's an avid reader and enjoys gardening and tabletop board games. Welcome, Christine. And please tell us a little bit about the doctorate program you're in since that's not in your bio yet. No, it's not in my bio yet because I'm still working on it. Um, I started my doctoral program through Kansas State University sponsored by the Maricopa Community Colleges. So it's a cohort of, of uh, faculty and staff who are working towards their doctorates together. And my hope is that my doctorate topic is going to be on students' sense of belonging in classrooms that utilize equity-adapted open educational resources in the classroom. And I am so excited to be exploring this topic. That's awesome. That sounds exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, and we're talking about this topic today, and we invited Christine today because Christine has been on our list to talk to for a very long time because she is the first director of open educational resources that GCC has had. Even though GCC has some big players in OER, um, this is the first time GCC has had a position like this. So we feel like it's important to talk about. And we also know that OER is critical um, when we're talking about equity. Um, And so, yeah, there's several reasons that we want to talk to Christine today. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. All right. So uh, one of the first couple of questions that we have for you is, can you tell us in a few instances, could you tell us in a few sentences what OER is and why is OER important in higher education? So open educational resources are, to boil it down to its most basic resources that educators can use in the classroom with their students that don't cost the students any money. That's that's what it boils down to. Now, there are several variations of this that make it important. The first, you can adapt those materials directly to the types of students that you teach. The second, that it is uh, an opportunity to perfectly fit 
those materials to your curriculum. And the third big one that I would say would be um, that it lowers barriers. And then there's several areas that it lowers barriers in, the first being the cost. And that's up front one of the most important barriers that we can lower for students. But it's not the only barrier that open educational resources can address. There's accessibility as well as equity issues. Um, because open educational resources are completely open to being remixed and revised to perfectly fit your classroom, that means it can be perfectly fit to those students that you teach. So the materials can represent the students and the students can have a voice in those materials, which is awesome. I, I love that part. Yes. Especially what you said about remixing and revising the materials. That really stuck out to me. Uh, and how you can use those materials to break down those barriers, right? Uh, costs and accessibility and, and having more equity. But yes, I like that, that remix and revise. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what inspired you to become interested in OER and to use OER in your own classroom? So this is a bit of a long answer, and I know it is, but it's, it's a three-part response. In... Right around 2017, GCC had a big movement that was started by those people who were pushing open educational resources on the campus to ask students what they spent on their textbooks and what they would have spent that money on instead. And a student had on their whiteboard in front of them, they spent $700 in a semester on textbooks, and they would have spent that money on food. Now, what really got me about that photograph that did go out on Twitter, and they can find it, uh, it was one of my students, and my textbook was about $100 towards that $700 price tag. So I was contributing to a barrier to stopping a student from having food. That really bothered me. The following semester, I had two students who failed my class solely and completely because of the cost of the textbook. Mm -hmm. They couldn't afford the textbook, and some of the homework assignments, because it was an online textbook, were required to pass the course. They couldn't do those homework assignments, so they couldn't pass the course. And I was thinking, okay, that's kind of ridiculous. So then I was working with somebody else to do an open educational resource with a publisher. Um, it was gonna lower the cost, and I thought that that would really help. And come December, the publisher still isn't ready. And I like to get my materials ready in advance. I like to plan everything out. I'm not hearing anything from the publisher. I'm not hearing anything from the publisher. So I dove in feet first. I had access to a whole bunch of open educational resources and materials. I knew where to get help. I put together my own textbook modeled on what I had already planned for the semester and uh, turns out the publisher wasn't ready until well into February, so I'm glad wow. that I did that. Mm -hmm. But what was awesome about it is all of that led to the very best semester of teaching that I've ever had. Mm. The students were excited, happy, enjoying themselves. I was excited, happy, and enjoying myself. I, I've never had a better class. It was wonderful. That's awesome. I love hearing that. So 
thank you for sharing your inspirations and uh, for sharing that information. Now, the next question is, what does the research say about the impact of OER in the classroom? So there is a lot of research that is out there and there's a lot of research that's currently being done. But the primary research is that students who are underserved, most importantly, um, students who are uh, lower income or are African-American male students or are Hispanic male students are better served in the classroom with open educational resources. They have higher success rates than they would if they had to pay for a textbook. Um, the one good thing is where there is an OER adaptation, it doesn't hurt the other students. So if you, you adopt OER, it might only help a few of the students in the classroom, but it doesn't hurt any of the students in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of a key thing to see. But knowing that it does, in fact, help that many students, I can't, I can't see why not to use it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, I, I shouldn't say it seems like, but to me, it sounds like it's worth it, right? If, if you can help, even if it's just one student that it would benefit, that is one student who is getting, you know, resources that will help them to be successful and will help them to continue in their academic journey because sometimes I think about those students who maybe they have their first class experience is not the best and sometimes that one experience is the reason why they leave and they don't come back so it just makes me think that simply implementing you know an OER resource could be that one thing that keeps that student in that class you know and, and to me that even if it's just that one student it's one student more than if you wouldn't have had that in there and I think it what you said is really key is that even if it only helps a small number, it doesn't hurt anyone. So why not? You know, why not? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that one student that it does help, that student matters. Right. Right. They do. Every student matters. So thank you. All right. Next question. So there are different levels of implementation with OER. Could you walk us through what the levels are? Like what is level one? What is level two? Et cetera. So while there are no formal levels of, of OER implementation, we do have a sort of a sense of how you can adapt or adopt OER. Um, and the funny part to me is that most faculty are already using open educational resources. They just don't think about it that way. So you have an assignment in your class that you pulled off the internet from somebody else that was using it, and you've got these materials that you've pulled off the internet that's open educational resources. That would be your level one, a single assignment. You might have a unit. I can give you a really good example. We have uh, math classes that are trying to uh, teach a complete course in pre-calculus. Well, some elements of pre-calculus include trigonometry. Most of the pre-calculus textbooks don't have trigonometry. Well, there's a OER trigonometry textbook with all of the activities. You pull just that unit mm -hmm. into the textbook, and all of a sudden you have open educational resources. So that's mm -hmm. a slightly higher level. Um, as you are going up, you might have several units that you want to change out. This is where that remixing and revising to better fit your class comes in. 
making sure that those materials actually match your students. That's another level of OER. Then you get into the full adoption. Um, there are textbooks that have been created, full peer-reviewed, re um, revised and reviewed textbooks. Um, the most well-known is OpenStax, where entire departments are adopting that textbook for their classes. Okay, that's another level of OER. Beyond that, we start to get to self-created textbooks. So what I've done in my class is I took an OER textbook, like an OpenStax textbook, and several other textbooks to pull out chapters to perfectly fit my learning objectives and my course outcomes. They are aligned exactly with what the students need to do. That's another level of OER. But I think one of my favorite levels is the top level of OER, and that's where the students begin to contribute to the creation of the textbook. They begin to add to the material, they annotate the material, or they contribute entire chapters in the textbook, and then their names are on that creation. This is where we get rid of the disposable assignments and the students actually become content creators and knowledge creators. It's the most exciting level. Thank you, Christine. Um, yeah, I agree with you about the excitement surrounding that. You know, that would be a wholly different experience for a student to come in and know that they were actually creating something that future students might use or that mm -hmm. other people are going to read or see or, right, talk about a different level of engagement mm -hmm. to be those creators. So a lot of the conversations I've heard surrounding OER have been things like what it is or reasons to use it. Are there any other conversations happening about OER? And if so, what are they? So right now, what is exciting to me um, is that we are really starting to examine the intersection of equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion when it comes to open educational resources. A real deep dive into making sure that our materials are accessible and properly diverse to fit the students that are actually using those materials. Um, there are organizations that are in the process of creating entire rubrics for evaluating open educational resources, open educational resource programs at the university and college level. And one of the areas that these rubrics are examining is how well the materials are um, adopting diverse student representation um, how inclusive the materials are, how accessible the materials are, and accessible on every level from, from um, disabilities to abilities to the language abilities to the understanding and concepts, how interactive they are and how involved the students can be in relating to that material. It's all very exciting stuff. Exciting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank yes. you. Thank you. All right. So could you let our listeners know how GCC and or the district has shown their commitment to OER? 
So GCC has created the position of uh, the Director of Open Educational Resources uh, meant as a guide to help move us forward in our process of adopting OER to make sure that we're doing it with a mind to equity and inclusion, to make sure that we're doing it with a mind to quality. Um, and part of that has allowed us to move forward with our near Z degree, which is very exciting. I don't know if you've heard of this, but we have a, um, a set of degree pathways that we are mapping out to make sure that students can take entire degrees with no textbook costs or low textbook costs. We, um, we currently have about two degree pathways, and I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head what those degree pathways are, as well as several certificate pathways and several uh, academic certificates. So this is very exciting. At the district level, they are working on making sure that this is uh, a possibility for every campus because GCC is a very big campus. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that the smaller campuses have the same kind of access and involvement. But they're also connecting with the uh, national level with the doers group, um, which is the group that is actually working on this rubric that includes checking through programs to make sure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a, a tight part of open educational resources. We're trying to remove barriers everywhere, not just cost. Mm -hmm. So for someone who's a little hesitant about using OER, let's say, well, let's say that, let's say they've, let's say they have used OER and they just don't think about it that way. Like maybe they've pulled an assignment or a reading or something from, a, from somewhere else, but maybe they're thinking they want to do a little bit more, but they're hesitant about that. What, what do you have to say? Well, the first thing that I would have to say is uh, don't do it alone. Mm. This, is, this is something that I have a tendency to do, and I don't recommend to other people, don't do it alone. Uh, we have on every campus that I have talked to, so not just in Arizona. I've talked to campuses in uh, Utah, Nevada, California, we have people like me who are there just to help. So you sit down with that person. Um, at GCC, we have three librarians who are trained in open educational resources. And that is their whole um, exciting opportunity. They want to meet with a faculty member and find out what they can do to help you, to support you, to help you find the materials so you're not doing it alone. And the second thing is, don't think you have to jump in with both feet. You do not have to adopt a fully OER textbook. You don't have to write it yourself. There are, I believe the last count was something like 1.6 billion materials out there. Don't think you have to do it yourself. Um, <clears throat> The, the easy thing to do is to get with a group of people and think about how your course works and what areas are open for being able to adopt those kinds of materials. So if there is a course that is still in the development phase, meet with those librarians and see if you can get a textbook 
that will perfectly match your course learning outcomes. And if you already have those courses that are pre-developed, you've got your set course and you really like using this textbook, don't think that you have to change. You don't have to change. Find those single things that can be replaced or remixed that will allow your students to have an opportunity to access materials that are free. And that includes things like free literature through the Gutenberg Library or free science activities through one of the many H5P libraries or there's all of this stuff that's available to you, but go to a librarian first. Yeah, great that's advice. Nice. Yeah, it's great advice, especially what you mentioned about you don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we do that, right? It's like, oh, I, 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 I want to do this, so I'm just going to tackle it by myself and make it work. But there are resources and people in the community available to you if needed. So I think that's very helpful to know, and, and that's really, really, really great advice. And then also you don't have to jump into the deep end by yourself either. You know, it could simply be an assignment and that could go a long way. That could just be the start that someone might need. So that's great. Absolutely. All right. So how can people get in touch with you if they are interested in OER? Well, I am available by email. Um, I am available by phone. I am in the honors building on the GCC campus and you can swing by my office at any time. Um, I wander around. You can catch me in the hallways. You can catch me between buildings. I go for walks with my husband on a daily basis around the campus. If you see me, stop me and I will talk to you about OER at any time. That's great. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. All right. So now we're jumping into our segment of uh, what's on the radar. So I'll go ahead and just jumpstart this uh, segment. So for me, the thing that's on my radar is this documentary that just came out on Apple TV. And it features Selena Gomez, who is um, an actress and singer. And it's called My Mind in Me. And I, I really enjoyed it. It kind of gave me some information about her life. And I'm not, I'm actually not a huge Selena Gomez fan. Um, I know a little bit about her. Like she got her start on Barney when she was seven. And she's definitely known for her work on Disney with the Wizards of Waverly Place. And uh, she dated Justin Bieber. That was a big thing. And also she has been doing music for for a long time. So it's, she's been working in the business for like over 20 years um, for a really long time. So this kind of gave a little bit more insight into her personal life. They followed her around for I think about maybe five to six years to do this documentary. And it covered a lot of different things. Um, her struggles with, for example, anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. And then also uh, her struggles with lupus as well, because she had to have a, a transplant because of lupus. And, and that was a big story as well. So um, it was really interesting. I'm, I'm even more interested in Selena Gomez and her music. I, I think I only know one song of hers. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to kind of digging a little bit more into her music. And, and if you're curious about the documentary, like I said, it's on Apple TV and I, I feel like it's worth the watch. So that's on my radar. Great. Christine, what's on your radar? So I'm an avid reader, 
And uh, recently I have restarted a series that I enjoyed in the previous, uh, a few years ago, I think I, I read it the first time through, uh, the Lady Darby Mysteries, which are, um, it starts, the first The first book is uh, The Anatomist's Wife, mm. and it's set in Scotland right around the 1800s, 1860s, I think, 70s. Um, might be a little earlier than that because they have, um, it's right around the time when the, it has to be around 1836 because that's when the law was passed concerning not harvesting bodies for medical science. Mm. And uh, it's a it's a fascinating read. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun because um, she's solving mysteries and you don't get a Victorian woman solving mysteries. It's right. just, that doesn't happen, so. I just added that to my to-read list, Christine. I remember you telling me about that before, and then I forgot about it, so I captured it this time. <laughs> it sounds good. I don't have anything specific, um, but I do have things I'm looking forward to, like just finishing some books. I think mm-hmm. I have probably eight to ten that I've started and set down. Mm-hmm. So I need to do something with that pile. Yeah. Yeah. You have a TBR it's, list to be read? Well, it's reading. Yeah. Currently <laughs> reading, but not, oh, okay. re- not doing very well at it. Okay. So that's, that's you know, I'm hoping, you know, as the semester winds down, I'll be able to pick up some books. Okay. Nice. Thank you. What's our nugget, Tanisha? The nugget. Well, I, I kind of grasped onto this nugget at pretty much the very beginning of our conversation with Christine. So this is all from Christine, this nugget. Um, just, just this idea of really considering OER for your classes, like really embracing, remixing and revising your courses and not being afraid to remix and revise your courses. Uh, If you're afraid, it's like Christine said, you don't have to do it alone. There are resources available to you. There is a community out there so that you can kind of jump into the revising, remixing pool. Because to me, I, I feel like based off of what Christine has stated today, it's worth it. It's it's worth three words. If, if there's three words you can take away, it's worth it. Because Christine said that, you know, you, you may only help a few, whether that's one student, two students, you don't know who you're helping, but it's not hurting anyone and it's helping someone. So that's kind of the nugget I think people can walk away with today is, you know, uh, you know, take, take the leap and just give it a try and see what happens and just see the impact that you have in students' lives. And that's the nugget. Great nugget. The nugget. Thank you, Christine. Christine. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. And thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us as well. We appreciate all of you and we hope that you'll join us next time. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to join in, connect with us on Twitter. Follow at two profs in a pod or leave a comment on our blog at twoprofsinapod.blogspot.com. Remember, spell out the number two. Other ways to show your support? Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, write a review on Apple Podcasts, or tell your colleagues about the show. Two Profs in a Pod is hosted by Beth Ayers, English faculty, and Tanisha Baca, communication faculty. 
The podcast is edited by Cheryl Colon, instructional developer, and is brought to you by the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Engagement at Glendale Community College in Arizona. 